I agree with the logic that you should say yes to everything if it's giving you opportunities, but the key focus of that reason to say yes to everything is it should be giving you opportunities. And if it's not, that is that is not an equal exchange. So, and for me, I had to take that time to realize that I'm nearing the end of my rope. I am going to burn out on this creatively. And if I'm going to burn out, I'm going to go, I'm going to burn out doing the thing I want to do that I build my life around the goal of doing, not the thing other people want me to do. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram, I'm at MikeBone, or on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Hey, I'd love for you to stop by DailyCreativeHabit.com. I've created several resources with you in mind as a creative person. First, there's a link to our free private Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It is filled with creatives of all types who have raised their hands to say, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. And so if that's you, we would love to see you as part of this group. There's also a link to receive our free Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. This goes out twice a week and is filled with resources and inspiration and daily prompts for you as a creative person to make sure that you keep showing up every single day for your creativity. And lastly, there's a link out to the new Daily Creative Habit Guided Creativity Journal. And this is something that I'm really excited about because it's a 90-day journey that you can go on that guides you to plan and show up for your creativity and help you track and help you measure and figure out exactly what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. This is available right now through Amazon.com. If you've ever struggled with following your passion and feeling stuck, spinning your wheels, feeling like you're not advancing at all, then today's conversation is going to bring you some encouragement. I sit down with award-winning director Stimson Sneed, and we have a very candid conversation about his journey, about how he has pursued his passion, and what that's looked like. And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of saying no, not just yes to everything. We talk about the importance of figuring out those right opportunities to say yes to, because otherwise you're going to say yes to everything and it can lead to burnout. We talk about his process, what has inspired him uh, as a kid and still inspires him today in his work. And we talk about some of the latest projects he has going on uh, and some of the ones that, that have earned him some of the accolades that he well deserves. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Stimson Sneed. Well, hey, Stimson, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to see you, Mike. How you doing? I'm awesome today, and uh, I am so looking forward to our conversation today, just talking about all things creativity, how that shows up in your life, the projects you're working on. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of places where there's just some really great threads to pull on. Um, and so, you know, before we get too far into all the things, um, so tell us a little bit about like, who are you, what you do? I mean, I know you're, you're obviously you're, you're a, a filmmaker, you're, you're an award-winning uh, director and you do illustration, but like, how do you, you know, if you're at a party and somebody comes up to you, Hey, how are you? Who are you? What do you do? What's your usual go-to line? You know, that has changed a lot in the last couple of years. If people ask me that question right now at a party, I'm going to say, I'm a director. But for years, I was kind of afraid to give that answer because I've always wanted to direct and I've been directing on and off in some form or another for the last 15 years. But when you live in L.A., Pick any crowded room, throw a rock. I guarantee you there's a 50-50 chance that whatever you hit is going to say, I'm a director, but I'm also an actor and a voiceover actor, dancer, triple threat writer. Because when you're trying to get started in this industry, people try to do everything. So if you ask people what they do, you're going to get like 10 answers if that's just kind of part of the film culture and the downside is it makes a lot of it feel illegitimate there's a certain when people start listing the nine different jobs there's a uh, oh honey 
oh honey <laughs> feeling and and for years i was just so self-conscious about that so when people ask so what do you do uh, stuff like i like doing movie stuff yeah but what do you do things <laughs> i was <'cause, laughs> extremely non-committal it's honestly only been in the last two years or so that i really feel confident going i'm a director check my imdb it's like that now yeah well it's you know you make an interesting point too because i think creative people i I, most of that i've talked to are multifaceted in terms of they have different creative passions and expressions and they like to juggle these things they like to try to move in and out of things so that things don't get stale um and yet it makes it very hard to have a cohesive narrative or uh, presentation of yeah i do x um, and so it's, you know, if you pick one thing, then it seems like you're leaving something else out and there may be a, an opportunity to partner with somebody or collaborate with somebody. And if you're not talking about that, you know, it gets kind of difficult and it can go sideways pretty quick. Um, but yeah. you no, know, how, how have you seen that play out either in your life or the people around you, as you're describing, you know, these, these conversations at parties? <laughs> well, eventually we all find a group part of the reason you get the like five to six different answers to that question what do you do it's because we honestly don't know it's like i want to be an actor but i'm not getting cast right now so maybe i should toy with stand-up a little bit because i'm people seem to think i'm a funny person or maybe your goal is to be a writer but you're no one seeming to like your writing but they really like what you do with the camera so you're toying with being a dp or a director of photography it's not just being having multiple interests it's that you're waiting to see where does my talent land where do i actually start to find success and some sort of positive perception not from my college or my circle of friends but from the actual wider industry as a whole and and people don't want to close doors on themselves because once you kind of become one thing it's hard to gravitate into the other i mean you can a-list celebrities who are directing their first movies because even being an A-lister actor, it's such a shift. Mm, yeah. So and, do you think there's, and there's a, you think there's a certain part of that that's like, just you have to go through the process to find that? I think so. Uh, for, for a lot of folks, sometimes they will get lucky on their first try and it will be the thing they want. Others, and I would be a good example of this, are folks who had one thing from the beginning they wanted to do, but they had to take a sort of long, circuitous way to get there because they just were not finding success at it for the longest time. Like for me as a director, folks aren't lining up to ask me to direct in the past 15 years of my life. It's only been in the last couple of years that that started churning around and it was me just being stubborn. So, so for a lot of those folks, it's like, um, the actor who wants to play with illustration because people are paying them, but they're still not giving up being an actor. And I think what happens for a lot of folks is hopefully they settle into the thing they actually wanted to do from the beginning eventually, or they find a different venue within the arts that still brings them joy, even if they never saw themselves doing that. I know a lot of actors who wanted nothing but acting, but they couldn't get cast. So they would start producing their own shorts just to cast themselves. And what would happen is they would discover that while they're not in demand as an actor, they're a rock solid producer and people want to hire them because they're really good at it. And I've seen that happen with several different friends of mine. Yeah. And now I feel immediately bad because I can think of at least two or three who are, who will listen to this and go, is he talking about me and my <laughs> acting? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I've already, I've already thinking the apologies. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and you brought up another good point of a lot of times the thing that we find ourselves gravitating towards are the things that were really laid as a, a foundation when we were a kid, right? The things that lit us up as a kid, the things that really interest us. And somewhere along the way, it was either our, you know, lack of, uh, of, clarity or maybe people speaking discouragement or circumstances that got in the way and we find ourselves veering off course from that to only sometimes be like rediscovering it and going like oh yeah like this is really aligned with who i am and what i need to be doing 
I just kind of either forgot or things got in the way. Um, so talking about that aspect of things, like what were some of the creative things that filled you up as a kid? And, and do you see the links to what you do today? Maybe it's not obviously like a one for one, but at least that how it informs it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think my great, I think so a lot of kids who get into acting, it's because they love getting to perform and make people laugh, make people feel things on a stage. Whereas when I think back to my earliest memories as a kid, I really, really loved telling people what to do. So I would naturally gravitate to directing as an adult. Um, that That's only a half joke, to be honest. There's more truth <laughs> of that than I want to admit. I, I grew up in the arts. Both my parents were actors. Excuse me. <laughs> And to the listeners, I apologize. I cough that I'm still getting over. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as a kid, I my parents were both actors, but stage actors. And so I would be a five-year-old backstage at productions, wandering around backstage and knowing how to be quiet. And I just got used to that culture, that vibe, that space of theater and the arts. The only difference was I just never really had much interest in working in live theater. I love live theater, just, you know, as an observer. And what I did love, though, was movies. I was an only child, so I was one of those kids who would spend lots of time watching movies. Not a lot of time watching TV because my mom didn't have, didn't allow TV. So we had a TV, but we had no cable or even antennae. Her logic being, uh, if it's worth watching, it's worth owning. So I would just watch movies on VHS or I'd rent movies at the rentals, and sometimes I'd rent an episode of a show. But I just marinated in that experience as a child, and what always excited me was coming up with my own stories and wanting to tell them. And the way that I felt most comfortable telling it was through a visual medium. It's part of the reason I've always been drawn to comics, and one of the reasons I've always sort of gravitated away from the idea of traditional writing even though I have dabbled with uh, writing on occasion, unsuccessfully, it's just like with books, but it's just not how I like to express myself. I want that visual element to things. And film is the most direct means to that end. Mm -hmm. as, as for as long so as for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to do that. Now, I've always dabbled in other parts creatively, like any, you know, young junior high, high school kid. I definitely said to myself one day that, yeah, I'm definitely as handsome as a movie star and should be an actor. I'd be depriving the world. This is back when I still had hair. It was a lot more diluted. But, you know, <laughs> in my little 14 year old brain, it made perfect sense. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, the whole thing of the visual art piece, right? So, like. What were the things that were informing you and that were that you gravitated towards uh, in terms of of the, the visual medium, um, like were there certain styles or certain stories that you just really remember, you know, this was something that fed your soul? Oh, anything gothic, like like every other kid, Tim Burton blew my little brain and, and all of these sort of Tim Burton inspired stuff and the and the very abstract, probably because my background in theater. Part of the reason I liked Tim Burton was for the abstracted element, but it's also what got me into folks like Julie Taymor, her work, which is so exotic in its presentation. And even your, your David Fincher style filmmakers, their stuff is hyper-realistic, but because of the amount of time and care Fincher uses, there is an almost unreality to his reality that I quite love because it's because it's not showy. But if you watch his stuff, there is a almost drippy surreal quality to things mm -hmm. the sense of a scene melting one into the other and, and that sort of visual style i always adored the hell out of what i always found I, I didn't get into was anything that was trying to be for lack of a better word tool so uh a, a lot of the sort of the your blade style things where it'd be like the rock music would come under it your matrix style things i loved the aesthetic but Something about the attempt to be cool always kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. It was a sort of style that didn't draw me in. Whereas the unrealism of the the um, the type of style that would make it where you had to celebrate the camp. Camp is the word I'm looking for. That's the sort of styles that would really bring me in and I would enjoy. And, and 
I, the, my favorite show was always a show called Red Dwarf, which if you go back and watch it, it's so low budget. It makes Doctor Who look fancy. But the thing Red Dwarf did was they didn't have fake sets. They had one or two sets that they built that were actually decent sets. But rather than the 50 million cardboard hallways, for all their spaceship interiors, they would use huge industrial factory complexes that they would use low lighting in, like plumbing facilities, anything that would have large steel tube works. So they had basically no money, three lights and the actors, but because they would pick these really unusual spaces, Red Dwarf science fiction world actually has an incredible sense of visual identity to it now, if you go back and watch it. And anytime I would come across that sort of thing, people struggling with little to make something dynamic and to embrace their own limitations. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where a lot of times creativity shines is because you have to think, okay, I have very tight limitations here. What can I do to make things work and not just work, get by, but like actually do the best I can with what I have before me and start finding solutions that maybe you wouldn't normally look for, right? Yeah. And the other thing that I always love, and I love it when an artist does this, is when they realize the thing I want to do is what Hollywood is already doing. I cannot compete with Hollywood with my budget. So what can I do that can be entirely its own identity? I can't if I'm uh, whenever I see folks trying to do like short films about superheroes, I was always thinking to myself, but I could go watch a Marvel superhero their budget will be much better than yours. Right, yeah. As opposed to the short filmmaker going, well, I'm going to do something, and this is actually a real example that I saw about a guy who accidentally falls into a black hole and just has a soliloquy about what it's like to watch a black hole form in his living room. It's subtle, it's beautiful, it's quite funny, and I promise you, if you ever find this film, you will not see it in theaters, and you'll never see anything like it in theaters. But it does what it does so well that it's hard not to be instantly enchanted by it. I wish I knew the title of it. It's probably Black Hole. <laughs> yeah. But it's a wonderful little short film that was making the rounds about two years back. That's awesome. I love when people do that and they just lean into things and go, you know what? This is an idea I have. This is something I want to create and I'm just going to go for it and make this happen, you know, uh, and, and oh, yeah, not his... worry about all the the the, the hype and the the glitz and everything, you know? Well, and he makes his film about a black hole that forms in his kitchen and how he uses it as a waste paper basket until he accidentally loses his cat. <laughs> Again, you would never find a feature film about this, but because he's only doing the one effect, he does it exceptionally well when you watch the film. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you now, you know, you're obviously where you are now doing these these projects, but leading up to this we talked a little bit about your inspiration and as a kid and you know growing up in childhood um you decide at one point okay this is what you want to pursue what does that look like and take us to the the, the beginning part of your journey to to okay you're 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 just starting out what does that look like for you i'm just starting out what does that look like what it looks like is a goddamn train wreck of 15 years of bad decisions that i survived only through sheer force of stubbornness <laughs> but my career trajectory is a case study in what not to do so the first thing is i decided to get a degree in film you know go to so i could you know, be educated because i'm uh, 37 years old this was right back in the early 2000s right at that nadir period where it was just an assumed to do any job required a college degree right. and let me assure you working in film does not in any way shape or form require a college degree at all like it, it, you don't even put it on your resume the, the only thing college does for you in film is help get you work I didn't know that at the time, so I decided to pick as a school, uh, Eastern Washington University, which is an incredibly good university. I loved my time at Eastern. My professors were fantastic. I stay in contact with several of them to this day. As an education, my time at Eastern was amazing. In terms of my ability to then get hired, um, it left something to be desired. Now, there was a thing I should have done. There was a wonderful studio right there in Spokane where I went to school called North by Northwest. What I should have done was when the pool of competition was small and as I was getting out of school, I should have stayed in my college area, gotten work with North by Northwest and learned from them. 
I did not do that because immediately out of college, I did what every kid does immediately out of college, which was decide to move to L.A. to make it in the big time is to see if I can make it in those talkie pictures. <laughs> and it did not go well. I got to L.A. I did web series. I basically spent the majority of my time working background on films uh, as a way just to get onto big sets and learn. But I, I could not find a way to break into the industry if my life depends on it. One of the reasons I was so insecure, we were talking about earlier, about uh, when people ask, what do you do, is I was a perfect example of one of those folks trying to figure out what it was that I did. Because the thing I wanted to do, nobody else wanted me to do. Uh, it, even among, like, you would have your circles of friends who would collaborate and work together. Even among those circles of friends, every, everyone knew I only wanted to direct, but I was never the one who would be asked to direct. Anytime someone would put together a project, they would want me to hold a boom. And which I got to tell you, it, it's great for one's sense of self-esteem and really makes you feel confident about your talent and your decisions <laughs> because uh, you have to be a crazy person to go through that and not at least ask the question. At a certain point, it's not insecurity to say, maybe this is something I'm not cut out for. Maybe this is something I'm not qualified to do. Maybe the lack of skill is something that's clearly obvious to everyone around me, even if it's not to me. I'm not saying people shouldn't follow their goals, but at a certain point, when all of your feedback is just uniformly negative, you'd be crazy not to start getting a little concerned. Mm, yeah. And I was one of those folks. So I, I almost nearly threw in the towel. But what I decided was I was going to take a hard reset. Basically, start saying no to everything. Only be willing to do projects. Stop, be, stop being a team player and only kind of do my own thing to see if I could start getting some positive feedback from it. And this coincided with my mom getting sick uh, for several years. And I was also taking care of her at that time. So I also had to kind of reset a lot of my priorities. It became a time in my life where the only way, I only jobs I could say yes to couldn't be for the money. It had to be because I was passionate about it because I would have to be taking time away from looking after my mom to do the job. And money just wasn't a good enough reason when I could be taking care of my mom with that time. So it had to be something that I thought was getting me somewhere that I thought would get me in the right direction. And a weird shift happened in that period. Uh, I started getting in demand. I was started coming in on various projects as first kind of a fixer producer for a little web series, a couple short things, one where people would go over budget, where people would be having problems, and I would come in just to fix it and streamline it, and sometimes direct. I even got to the point where a friend for the first time in my life in my mid-30s asked me to direct an episode of her web series, a wonderful little web series called Dead Friends. And while I've been doing much bigger stuff since then, it was actually the first time anyone had asked me to direct something for them. And then I started doubling down on my own shorts and I went back to one that I had wanted to do years ago. One of the ones that I thought would be that no one was interested about the Mars Spirit Rover. But this time I did it in collaboration with the Buzz Aldrin Foundation. I basically cold called them, just reached out out of the blue and made this wonderful little film called Spirit that starred Tara Strong. We did Gangbuster on festivals. I, I gravitated from that into several different screenplays, which I was able to get feedback. I was actually able to get into studio hands. And I was actually starting to get big notes from big studios. Uh, the graphic novel I, I did called The Dogs is based on a screenplay that a couple folks that a few of the big names looked at said they loved but couldn't buy because it needed to be a pre-existing property. So it's like, all right, then I'll make it into a pre-existing property. Then around that time, several of my other shorts started really picking up. Tim Travers and the Time Traveler's Paradox, uh, Lab Rats, which I'm finishing up now, and then the feature film adaptation of, of Tim Travers, which we're in post-production on right now, as well as another screenplay I did, which picked up a lot of momentum, which I originally thought was going to be my first feature, which we're trying to get um, into uh, production as we speak, uh, called Treat Street. But all of those started opening doors. But all of this happened, honestly, in my early 30s, 
after I had that long period of saying no, of just having to rebuild the priorities, because everything I did before that, my entire 20s, that long stretch of trying to be a team player, trying to say yes to everything. The only thing that happened when you said yes to everything was everyone would say no to you. It's interesting, you know, because you 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 always hear the opposite of that. You always hear if you're going to start out, if you're going to do something, say yes to everything because you need opportunity. You need to meet people. You need to be out there and doing things. Um, and so it's interesting to to your story to say, you know, when you actually said no, it's almost like that's when the the focus and clarity came and the the not just, I think, externally, but even internally, it sounds right. Yeah, it's like. I agree with the logic that you should say yes to everything if it's giving you opportunities, but the key focus of that reason to say yes to everything is it should be giving you opportunities. And if it's not, that is that is not an equal exchange. So, and for me, I had to take that time to realize that I'm nearing the end of my rope. I am going to burn out on this creatively and if I'm going to burn out, I'm going to go, I'm going to burn out doing the thing I want to do that I build my life around the goal of doing, not the thing other people want me to do. I'm here to direct and maybe I'm a terrible director, but so help me if I'm going to burn out in the next three to four years, it's going to be directing every single thing I can possibly find the money to do. Mm, yes. Yeah. It's you were, you chose yourself in that moment, right? And said, yeah. you know, even if opportunities aren't necessarily coming in for this thing. I'm going to do the thing at which I want to get hired for, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to say yes to the potentially good opportunity that isn't the thing I want to do. Because here's the thing about film and entertainment. If you just need a job, there's so many easier jobs. There's so many less soul-crushing, less stressful jobs. This is This is not an industry to do for the money or for the sake of success. You've got to do it because you care about the thing that you're doing. So if you're getting to that point where it's like, well, I just want to do something, do something easier for the, <laughs> anything easier. It, it's such an old stereotype in LA, but it's so true uh, how many people become realtors who used to be actors. Realtors are the most disproportionately attractive people in their 30s in the entire Hollywood community because every single one of them was a young 20-something actor at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like if you want to meet the pretty people, don't go to don't go to actor conventions, go to uh, realtor conventions. That's where you're going to meet all the that's where you need to uh, bring your a flirtation games. <laughs> good advice. Good advice. Noted. <laughs> yeah, this 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 might be a creepy window into my own psyche. <laughs> <laughs> so um, talk a little bit about, you know, you're you're doing some of these projects. I'm assuming that one opportunity you you do leads to the next thing right opens up some more doors opens up some more relationships um what exactly some, absolutely what were what were some of the pivotal moments for you that as you look back to say you know this was a moment where the, something else started to shift spirit spirit was the one that i did fairly while my while my mom was sick and it was the one where I had, I literally could not do a job at that time. I was basically living off my mom's money and taking care of her full time. So anytime I wasn't doing that, it had to be for something I cared desperately about. And Spirit was this project I had wanted to do 10 years, almost 10 years beforehand, but I was never able to put together. It was based on a comic from XKCD. So I kind of came into this one as a zero sum game. I'm doing this because it's a story that means a lot to me. I'm having to take time away from my mom. So how do I make this really matter? And the weird thing that happened was once I started talking to real scientists, it became kind of a seven degrees of separation. First, I got to talk to the Aldrin Foundation. Then they advised me how to reach out to JPL. JPL told me how to get a uh, hold of Stephen Squires, who at that point was working with uh, Blue Origin up in Seattle, which is where I happened to be at the time. And just based on the film itself, I was able to get Stephen Squires, the mission commander, to be in the film talking about it. And then because I had put together the film in such a way, I was able to reach out uh, through my old friend, Ronnie Yeskel, who's a casting director, to talk to, um, to get Tara Strong, 
And just because it was a more more professionally done film, I was able to go through more traditional professional channels. Now, Spirit was a nonprofit, so there was never going to be any way I could sell the film. But it started getting me to be into much bigger film festivals where I got to meet a different caliber of talent for the people I would talk to and start working with. And they would start introducing me to others. Um, the film Tim Travers and the Time Traveler's Paradox was born of me talking to several friends of mine who are physicists after watching some bad time travel films at Boston Sci-Fi, which is another wonderful festival. But it was literally my own response to other content. Uh, on that same festival run, I bumped into Samuel Dunning, an actor who was amazing and who I really loved this film he'd done called Rick and Ruby. And watching him, I knew this is the guy who needs to be Tim Travers in the Tim Travers short, because he can take what is a weird and out there script and make this a potentially phenomenally good short. And then when we did that short, Tim Travers just cleaned house at every damn festival it went to. And so much of that is because of the quality of that performance that then elevated my work as a director. And while that was all going on, I started getting, that's when I mentioned before, I started to get back into screenwriting. I had started shopping around the film called Treat Street. And Treat Street was a good enough script that it got me several meetings with the studio North by Northwest, the same studio that I should have <laughs> tried interning for 10 years prior, uh, back when I just getting out of school. But life's funny that way. But it opened some doors. I got to start talking to Rich Cowhan, the head of the studio. He really liked the script and agreed to come on as one of the producers so we could make the film. And because I now had this top-tier studio that I was working with, I decided when it was time to do Tim Travers, not to try to do this myself. I would only direct, but producing-wise, I would absolutely wash my hands of it and churn it over to the studio, North by Northwest, who does nothing but big professional productions. So that was my first time going into a short where this wasn't me and my friends and a group of folks out of L.A. just, you know, bare knuckling it. It was a seasoned, like a clockwork, well-oiled machine hmm. getting to work with. And they keep gravitating one from the other, but usually in very indirect ways is the thing. And I, I think that's part of why I am going to be the guy who advises people to say no. Say no to work that isn't helping you say yes to helping friends you should always help the people who are helping you but if that isn't an equidescent arrangement say no mm, yeah i think there's a lot of wisdom in that you know i think the thing is that you wouldn't have known that though if you hadn't gone through those experiences right that all that all leads to how you show up the things that you say yes to now and how you talk about things. I mean, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation, obviously, had you not had to go through that, you know, period and, and that learning to understand how to contextualize that for yourself. And, you know, I love when I get to, to have these conversations because, you know, it, it's you having worked through that, obviously, and, and to be where you are now, but then also in sharing the story, you know, someone who's listening right now is, at the beginning of this and maybe needs these words of wisdom and your story, your example to help mold and shape a little bit more of what they're experiencing right now. And so to be able to step into that moment in time, um, I don't take that lightly. And so I thank you for sharing so willingly, you know, the ups and downs and all arounds of your story, you know. Thank you. Uh, the weird thing is, I don't regret the time. I regret that I'm older now and I just don't have the energy that for some of the stuff that I could have been doing if I've been doing some of the stuff in my 20s. I regret the my age. I don't regret the experience because failure, and, and now I'm speaking like a complete cliche, but failure is an extraordinarily good teacher. Not just it teaches you about yourself, it teaches you what you can handle and it teaches your limitations because we do have limitations. I'm not exaggerating to say that I was certainly nearing the end of my own rope, but knowing that they're there is helpful because it helps guide you. And I got to meet so many extraordinary people in that phase of my life. I got to, I, I was one of so many struggling and it was a joy. And, and let's, be, let's be clear here, I'm still struggling. I know standard of measure, am I a successful big time filmmaker? I am comfortable is the best way of saying it. 
but I am by no means some big successful guy. I am actually still very much in that stage of trying to work my way into the bigger leaves of it. But I'm at a state where I'm no longer perpetually just trying to survive. And that's a nice, and that's a nice change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people might even just define success that way of like being able to pursue the thing that you're passionate about and actually earn your living from that and, and do so in a way that you're still following that passion into projects that you care about and putting out work that you're proud of um, and not simply just either existing, scrambling, being desperate or going the other way of just, you know, I'm, I'm just doing anything for a paycheck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the caveat that I would always put on that, though, is find the places you're lucky. Everybody's got something they're lucky. Maybe it's maybe they're a Nepo baby and they have a connection within the industry. Maybe they are just coming from a well-off background and they have the ability to invest that money. But the worst situation is when you feel like you just have nothing in your corner that you just be. And that's truly real. It is truly the for me, the big advantage I had after my mom passed was I inherited a bit of cash from her and I was able to. That's why I paid for the tip Travers project. And that allowed and that opened so many doors for me. But make no mistake, I still had something that gave me a helping hand in there. In my case, that helping hand, unfortunately, came after my mom's passing and well into my mid 30s. But it still came in some form. But the thing that I worry about for so many folks is that feeling that you've just got nothing in your corner. And to those folks, I would just say, keep hunting, I guess. Mm. God, that yeah. feels like such a trivial response, but my, but my, I'm just, my heart goes out to them. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point too, in, in that a lot of times we don't know the whole story, right? Like we don't know if somebody has certain financial resources that, that somebody who's struggling doesn't. And I think that's where it gets so insidious with especially social media sharing and all the highlights. I mean, we talk about that at nauseum a lot of times, but there's truth to it in that when we start comparing ourselves to somebody else's journey and experiences and yet we don't know the whole of the story it's very easy to cherry pick those those moments that are shining and you know seem the most successful and then go well i just need to either formulate a plan that looks like theirs or i need to you know do a certain thing but yet again like maybe they had certain financial resources or maybe they had a certain relationship that that we don't have and and so i think it's it's really important that we listen to ourselves and our own journeys and and not do so much of the comparison stuff learn from other people sure and um and and figure out where you can pick up the 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 wisdom you know to hopefully avoid some pitfalls but i think um realizing that there is no direct um overlay of somebody else's journey experience onto our own right one of the spots that I think is a very great example there of all things is podcasting. I know uh, it, it's it's a, it's practically a, a bad joke at this point, the everybody has a podcast joke observation. But I think part of that that is so good is it does allow so many people who don't have the resources that celebrities had or even I had to have a way to get their voice out there and to experiment. And it's why we get so many different kinds of podcasts. And I think that's such a good thing. Like, I, I love stuff like that. One of the other versions or in the non-audio version of that is folks who do web comics and stuff like that. There are these wonderful folks who will start in college and then they'll be in their mid-20s and realize, holy crap, this doodle I was doing for fun is my job. That's the stuff that I find really interesting because it is such a case of people having this stuff come to them over time as they experiment and find their place and voice within it. Like those are my heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. Through the podcasters. Yes. The through the pod <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's, there are so many podcasts that unfortunately are, are just left on the side of the road. I think people get into it thinking like, oh, this is going to be an easy thing. This is going to be, you know, whatever. And um, to, consistency is rare yeah. these days. Um, but I applaud anyone who is being consistent, showing up and deciding, you know what, this is something that I'm going to invest in myself in this process as well as other people. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, the other version of podcasts that I've been really enjoying aren't the ongoing podcasts, but they're the ones that are basically audiobooks. Someone will realize that it, because anybody can make a podcast, they can't may not be able to get their book published through Audible, but they can put together these wonderful narrative pieces or sometimes fiction, sometimes nonfiction. But it's a single story that they're basically breaking up over a few episodes for the sake of calling it a podcast. But really, it's a way to put that story out there as an alternative to Amazon or Audible or having to get it published or doing a TV show. And you find these wonderful, great little narrative one-offs. And I can listen. They're fantastic. Yeah. I think it's a great example of, again, creativity just paving the way to go. Podcasts can mean different things. It doesn't necessarily have to look like somebody else's. Uh, and that's the great thing about this medium is that you can move in and out of things depending upon, like you said before, even what is what's the right next yes for you? Um, and it's, it's bringing opportunity. It's bringing, you know, clarity as you step more and more into it. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, I think now when I'm, because now that I'm comfortable, the things I say yes to are things that excite me. Mm -hmm. I still, to this day, I will still do the occasional hold a boom sort of thing if it's for friends, but I'm not doing it to help the friend anymore. I'm doing it because I think that friend is doing something I find interesting and I want to help. And I'm being facetious. I'm not literally holding the boom anymore, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. But help, but taking meetings, helping with producing, uh, advising and how they can get to, to how they can talk to distributors. Usually if I'm doing stuff like that anymore, it's not even it's completely for free. And it's because the project is fascinating. I have a couple friends who will do a few web series and I'm always happy to help out and give some money because I think what they're doing is really good. And other friends who I wish them well and I'll see the Kickstarter for a certain thing and go, oh, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. But Once again, I've, I've got several once again, I got. If, if certain friends listen to this, are going to be going. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll listen, leave out if, specific if, details. <laughs> well, I've, I've got the one get out of jail free card, which is that I. You see so many Kickstarters. You see so many web series. I, off the top of my head, I can probably think of nine right now that different friends of mine are working on. So I think I've got a lot of cover there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So your odds are sure. one in your odds are eight to one. I'm not talking about you, friend. Yes, yes, yeah. I want to make sure we we have time to to cover like where can people find your your the projects that you're involved with that, that are out there already that are coming out? Like talk a little bit about where people can encounter uh some of the projects. Well, right now the boring answer is just IMDB. Most of the big stuff I'm doing right now is in pre-production and development. So just go to IMDb. You can see the big celebrities we have in a few of the projects. You can see some of the random pictures coming out because the stuff is post-production. Uh, we kind of actually try to make it where people can't see it because we want the top, the next year or so to be polishing it, getting it ready for release and hopefully for a sale to a nice big company so that it'll end up on Netflix or something like that. Because that's the goal of the work that I'm doing at this point. So the, the boring answer is not a lot. <laughs> the more fun answer, the more fun answer is you can go to stimsonsneed.com. It links to my Instagram where I'm posting pictures of the stuff that I'm working on constantly. Uh, it also will be linking to a webcomic version of that graphic novel that'll be coming out sometime next year, but we're going to release it first as a webcomic because what can I say? I like people who do webcomics and I've kind of always wanted to. So I'm going to do that first. And it also links to uh, the Buzz Aldrin Foundation where you can check out Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I was excited to see uh, that you had Joel McHale uh, working with you and a uh, big community fan. So I loved his work in that and uh, continue to love his work. I mean, he, he seems like a great guy. Um, he was scary for me to work with. Of all the celebrities, he was the really? most starstruck I was because not only do I love community, he was in community. That was one of the first shows I ever did background on, fresh off the bus, coming to L.A. in my just trying to survive phase of my life. Like, this is the first few weeks of living in L.A. straight out of college. I'm one of the random kids at the Gay Bash dancing on the stage. <laughs> I'm going to so, have to go back and find that. <laughs> I'm really easy to spot. 
it's meant to be this party for, for the LGBT community in the show. And so it's all these incredibly handsome, good-looking guys, big, tall, muscly. And then for some bafflingly strange casting reason, me crammed in between them, all five foot nine of me, as skinny as a stick, looking like the damn crypt keeper because I was so unhealthy at that point in my life. Like I'm sort of walking around my hands, Mr. Burns style. (laughs) To this day, I cannot imagine who was going through the casting choices for background on that episode, looked at me looking like I was dying of a disease and said, yes, he'll fit right in. (laughs) <laughs> but um, I, I met Joel briefly backstage. I'd be, I mean, I don't believe he remembers it. Um, but I remember just trying to be very courteous and polite because it's like, oh my God, this is the star of the show. This man could have me fired on a whim. And then 10 years later, when Joel McHale arrives on set for my film that I'm directing, there's this, my brain for about 10 seconds sort of regresses back a decade to when that man could have been fired on a whim. So I think he thought I had brain damage when I walked in a few months ago and we met backstage. <laughs> he gets out the night before, we fitted him the night before his filming day the next day, and everyone's chatting and jovial and really happy to meet him. And here's me just kind of standing there going, hi. And tell it, it's very nice to meet. Did you know I was on Community? <laughs> Uh, I regained my cool by the following day. Don't let anyone tell you what it was. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, that was the most starstruck I was just because of that personal connection I had. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I saw also you post on that same uh, Instagram post that uh, Felicia Day uh, was involved in the production too, right? I mean, she is somebody who... I, I've loved her uh, for a long time uh, and following her and, and uh, got to meet her once at a book signing of hers. She, she's a lovely person. Actually, she's one of these people that I would love to have on this podcast with just all her talk of creativity and um, how she shows up amazing. Um, so I was excited about that too. Felicia is wonderful. And next to Samuel Dunning, the title character of the film, she is the biggest role in the film. So most of her actors were only out for a day or so. Felicia was out for a full week and a half uh, in lots of different scenes. And I really got to work closely with her and had just a great time. I remember texting a few friends of mine because way back in the uh, late aughts, so around 2010, I was one of those folks trying to do his own web series back when everyone thought narrative web series were going to be the big thing. This was happening while Felicia was in her second season of The Guild. Mm-hmm. And in the brilliant logic of a 22-year-old, I was absolutely certain that my web series was going to do so well, and I was going to get her in my project next year. She's going to cameo. It's going to be great. Well, it took 15 years, but I did finally get Felicia Day into a project of mine, and that was wonderful for me. Uh, I think I may have just been asking her too many fan questions because (laughs) I was still so curious about all the stuff that had happened back in the day because my own stuff had been overlapping at that same time. But no, Felicia was wonderful to work with and just also someone who is not afraid to give pushback on lines. And let me be clear, if, if there's a line I wanted a certain way, she would do it that way. But she would also sometimes have insight for how to make this line a little more organic. And in one case, I had a line that I didn't know was actually pretty offensive in my script, purely because a medical term that I was using was no longer used that way. So my intention behind it was not to be offensive. And I just straight up didn't know that. And she was the one who brought that to my attention, which I was very happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope to work with all the folks who are on this, which also included uh, Keith, David and Danny Trejo. I, I hope to for the chance to work with any of them again sometime soon. Yeah. That sounds like amazing opportunities just to, to work with that caliber of folks. I mean, uh, and, and I would assume that when you have those kind of experiences again, that's another opportunity for that to parlay into something else, because then you start to, I think you said it before, you know, you, you kind of elevate the caliber of people that you're working with and, you know, that just continues hopefully to, to happen more and more. So, right. Absolutely. On the next film, I want to get Felicia and Joel in a scene together because I just want to see what happens if these two just can bounce off of each other. Hilariously, they're in two scenes together in my feature, but we couldn't get the schedule to line up properly. So we're using trick photography. You would never know it uh, when you watch the finished film, but they were never once in the room together. 
<laughs> just because we couldn't get the schedules to align. So it's like, I, I would love to get them in the room together in real life. I think those two would bounce off each other great. All right. Well, we heard it here first. Hopefully this will, will come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap things up here, just um, is there anything that you would like to just say, hey, here's something that I haven't done yet that I really would love to do as you're thinking about, you know, even next and new? Yeah, if there's any publishers out there right now, even small press publishers, I've got a graphic novel coming out. I would love it if some folks have reached out to my literary agent, Paul Levine, because this is the graphic novel adaptation of that screenplay. I'm really interested in putting it out into the world right now, if only because I kind of just want to do another one. Creating this graphic novel was so much fun, and I got to work with this wonderful Italian artist, Marco Constantino, and the quality of the art is just mind-blowing. So, right, yeah, that's the thing I want to do right now. I mean, I'm already doing it right now, because we're actively talking, we're actively talking to publishers to get it picked up, but we haven't closed the deal yet, and I would, I would like to get this book out there. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone's listening, who can help help him out for sure. We want to see as much of this creativity come to life as possible, and uh, I love that. You know, it's it's this acknowledgement. Hey, we're we all need other people in the process in the mix. Nobody's a lone ranger, and um, I think that's when our work gets elevated too. You know, when other people start. Yeah bringing their skills and abilities and connections and everything to the table. It's a humbling in a good way sort of experience when you finally get to the point to be like, I know I want something to be done. And I also know this person is much better at it than I am. Mm -hmm. I used to DP for many years uh, as one of my mini bill payers. And it's such a satisfying experience. Now the DP I've worked with on the last two projects is a guy named Brian Gosling, whose work is extraordinary. And it's always interesting to me because I used to do his job, just not nearly as well as he does it. Yeah, yeah. So just as as the last question, I'm I'm curious, Mm -hmm. is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with that's maybe a piece of advice or just a life motto, something that you come back to again and again, doesn't necessarily have to be tied to, you know, film or, or creativity necessarily, but something that you're like, this is something that has been really extremely helpful for me that I return to that I want to give as a gift to somebody else. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to something we started with at the beginning of this conversation. Uh, saying no to projects or saying yes to projects because people always, because the the classic advice is say yes to everything. My advice is learn to say no. So if we were to end this, I would actually want to add a little more nuance to that. Whether you're saying yes or no, learn to say yes or no for the right reasons. If you're saying yes to this, make sure it's actually going to gain something for you or it's because it's something you believe in. And if you're saying no to this, make sure that it's not because you're just letting your head get too far up your own ass. Yeah. Find the right reasons to say yes and no. Yeah. Wisdom tied to intention, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much again for our time today, for you just unpacking your story and just this conversation. I know it's going to be a help and an encouragement to so many people listening. So thank you. No, thank you. This is honestly, it's been great unpacking for me emotionally. I feel like I need to call my therapist right now and say, hey, (laughs) therapist, you don't exist. I probably need a therapist. We can talk anytime you want. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm not paying. (laughs) Thanks again so much for our time today. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. And all the folks out listening, have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.